Hymn number 601, I'll Fly Away. 601. Let's stand together while we sing, I'll fly away. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home where God's celestial shore. life and wrong I'll fly away like a bird from prison bars has flown neighbor that's the best singing you've heard all afternoon all afternoon <laughs> and then find your seats if you will turn to number 106 106 as you're seated we'll sing number 106 themes that men have known, one supremely stands alone. Through the ages it has shown, tis his wonderful, wonderful love. Love is a theme, love is supreme, sweeter it grows, glory be Wonderful, wonderful love. Love is a theme. Love is supreme. Sweeter. 
Since the Lord my soul unbound, I am willing all around. Pardon, peace, and joy are found in his wonderful, wonderful love. of old when blind and lame to the blessed master came sinners all ye are his trust his wonderful wonderful love love is a theme love is supreme sweeter it grows singing for Sunday night. Over on page 112, we don't sing this song very often, but it's a, a really neat song called Grace Alone. Let's sing it together. Alone, which God supplies. 
Father, we're grateful tonight for the way you bless us, take care of us. We thank you for the ability you give us to uh, serve together in this wonderful church. I pray you'll bless the tithes and the offerings and the gifts that are given tonight, and that they'll be multiplied as we go around the world, sharing the name of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you, David. Thank you so much. We have a video here of Sutherland Springs. I want to show an update of one of our sister churches down south of San Antonio. When the shooting started, we were crawling to try to get away from the bullet spraying. I was crawling on my elbows because my arm had been shot. And I was saying, I love you, Jesus. You know, that was just a devastating day, just overwhelming. Some mornings there, the first week or so, you'd wake up and, is, is, did this really happen? Well, no, it couldn't have happened. This is Sutherland Springs. We're, we're nowhere. Nobody knows where Sutherland Springs is. I hope no pastor ever has to try to break the record of doing 26 funerals in nine days. Though there was pain, evil didn't win. The Spirit of God was moving here. Through that trial, he brought victory. 
every day almost. I, I'm seeing another miracle presented, another baptism, another rededication. I'm seeing people get alive. Through the tragedy, God has brought more people to the church. 48 members in the church that Sunday that we of the tragedy, and now we're 150, 170 people here. Four baptisms yesterday. There have been more uh, who have come to Christ uh, since the tragedy because they see the love of Christ in us um, and they want that. You know, the loss of the use of my legs is a small price to pay to see all of those people coming to Christ. Like if, like if this is all I have to pay so that so many other people, you know, around the world can, can see the love of Christ and maybe establish a relationship with Christ and that this is, this is nothing compared to that. And that, even though 26 are gone and, and 20 more were wounded and all the family, extended family that are hurt, it not only got our attention, it got the world's attention. So though I wish it hadn't happened, out of the ashes, the, the rebirth and the glory of God's gonna be made manifest. And I would hope that when people think of Southern Springs, they think of Christ. And if everything that happened and everything we do thereafter gets others to focus on Christ, then that's what it's all about. In early November of last, or uh, 2017, I believe it was 27 folks were uh, killed in a church service there in uh, First Baptist Church, which is a Southern Baptist congregation there in Sutherland Springs, which is south of San Antonio. And, um, you know, it was just a small, sleepy community and tragedy struck. So I think what was so heartbreaking about that is folks saw, hey, if this could happen in Sutherland Springs, Texas, it could literally happen anywhere. Because we're not talking about an inner city church. We're talking about just good country, good folks, just uh, tragic, uh, tragic uh, happening. You know, they're actually planning a big revival uh, for the one-year anniversary. And uh, earlier this year, we looked at bringing in uh, evangelist uh, Ronnie Hill. And Ronnie Hill, uh, we're not going to do that here, but he's actually leading the big revival down there at Sutherland Springs. So that, we're uh, excited to see Ronnie being a part of that and um, the great things that is going to come, how the Lord can do great things even despite a tragedy. Open your Bible to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 43. Next Sunday, we have Tom Patterson preaching the evening worship service he will be preaching on healing. He's also going to bring with him a young man named um, Tyler Shields, who's a pastor in Rock Horse Baptist Church, and his wife, and they're going to sing a song or two. So um, all this whole group went down with Brazil, uh, with Ben Biddle and I, so they're going to be a great blessing. Some Eastern Kentucky boys coming up here, and gals leading, uh, leading our Sunday night service. So I hope everybody's certainly here. Uh, Tom is just a fantastic speaker you really will receive a blessing from hearing him. That's next Sunday night. Two Sunday nights from tonight, that would be in two weeks, we're going to have the uh, Voice of Praise. They're headed out. Uh, David, are y'all leaving Saturday? They're leaving Friday, and they're going on tour. Their tour is all throughout Florida, and they're a big, uh, at first, they're singing at First Baptist Church in Daytona Beach, Florida, which is a very large congregation, so they'll be singing there. But they're uh, coming back, and they're having a homecoming concert on the 29th. So that be uh, the, their big grand finale that will be here. So that's in two weeks on uh, July 29th. So that's the next uh, 
um, oh, a, cu- or a couple of so week schedule of what, what's going on here at Broadway, their evening service with that. I want to share an illustration here. Uh, I don't know if I see Brother Hurd, um, but I want to share just, you know, going, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to say it this morning, but I, I just, you know, some, some illustrations are better for Sunday nights, but just to show you, because we were, one of the things we were talking about this morning was there in John chapter 17, how Jesus prayed for the protection of the disciples. And I want to give you an example of why that's so important. One of Brother Hurd's great ministries he has is he officiates a lot of funerals. And I want you to know the um, funerals um, are, uh, and it's sad that it has become like this, but funerals are an opportunity to share the gospel with lost people. Because a lot of the crowd in the audience, especially if it's an unexpected death, a lot of unchurched people are there. And I just want to show you how the devil works. Um, I was at one that he was um, uh, speaking at, and he did a great job presenting the gospel. But just to show you, and I was in the, I was t- kind of towards the back, and I was watching what was happening. Off to the side, there was a, um, I guess, some pictures of the person's life, and the funeral home allowed that to be played. You know, it's like two hundred pictures. So the whole time he's presenting Jesus, off to the side is a picture show. Now, many of you think, oh, you know, funeral home just right. No, this is how the devil, this is what you call distraction. This is how Satan steals when there's an opportunity for someone to really learn about the Lord, how he literally takes that away from them. I mean, I'll tell you, even cell phones, even like this morning at our church, cell phones truly, when a cell phone rings, I mean, you just hit pause and maybe have a video because you lose all of a sudden people focus on that. Then, not too long ago, I, uh, I was at the funeral, actually a graveside service with Brother Hurd. And I was out there, and when I got out there pretty early, waiting for the folks to show up there with him, and he was speaking, and he was going to present the gospel. A lot, of, um, a lot of the family, they didn't know the Lord. And Now, this is a quiet, sleepy cemetery. The moment this is, and, I, and you, have to, you, you need to have the eyes to recognize the spiritual warfare when it happens. The moment Brother Hurd opens his Bible and starts to share about Jesus, this guy comes out of nowhere and starts cutting grass. I could not hear a word Brother Hurd said. I mean, it was just mowing the whole time. And do you know, once, <laughs> once Brother Hurd was done finishing, the guy like went on down. I mean, it was fine. It was just like just that opportunity when it was time to speak. It was so deafening. I almost stood at myself and went and told the guys, God, can you cut the grass? And a few minutes later, because it really, that is how the devil, st- through the spirit of distraction, he will remove from the, the gospel from people hearing it. Through whether it's a cell phone, whether you're at a funeral home and they just so-called forget and leave the... Nobody's listening, brother. Her, they're watching the TV screen over here. Or the lawnmowers cutting the grass down there. And that just shows you, that's why we have to be praying for God to protect not just ourselves, but also the message. As the message goes all out, it needs to be protected. We're going to look here at three different uh, settings that have occurred here with Jesus. We are going through the Gospel of Luke through in uh, 2018. We're about to see here how Jesus tells us to take up our cross and what that means to take up our cross today. We're also going to see here about the transfiguration. The transfiguration is something that uh, is very similar to when Moses and Elijah 
came down and a, a cloud enveloped the Lord and what that means and why that's important and why it occurred. And then we're also going to see this story here about how Jesus drove out an evil spirit, an unclean spirit, a demonic spirit, and he was mad, disappointed in his disciples because they just couldn't do it. And it was almost like they were missing something, and the Lord just spoke, and of course, um, uh, the person was set clean with that. So we're actually we're going to read these uh, three stories here in Luke chapter nine. Then in a little bit we're going to um, we're going to flip over here Malachi chapter four and as well as Exodus chapter forty. Luke nine twenty three. Once you follow along your Bibles here, it says, and then he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit or profit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits his soul or himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So what's happening here is Jesus starts out this message, and he's making it very clear. If you want to be, to be my disciple, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow the Lord, and a lot of folks certainly sign up, and they want to follow Jesus, he gives three requirements. He makes it very clear. He says in verse 23, they have to do, number one, they have to deny themselves, himself. Denying yourself means we live in an incredibly selfish culture. All of us here, if we're honest with ourselves, we're selfish. We want our way. We want what is best for us. We're always thinking, what do I want to eat? Where do I want to go to church? What do I want to do today? What does, what do, where do I want to go on vacation? Me, me, me. I mean, that is, that is the evidence of the sinful nature. nature. That, is, that is about me. And Jesus said, being a follower of Christ, being a disciple, you have to practice self-denial. That is where you say, God, I'm not going to do what I want. And then if I don't do what I want, I'm not going to go complain about it and gripe and complain. There are times that you have to do things. You are expected to do things. The Lord wants you to do things. And truthfully, if you're honest with yourself, you would never do these things. If it was just you picking, you would have no desire whatsoever to do these things. But because you love the Lord, you're going to be a disciple and follow after Him. That's what it means to self-denial. This is something that is, is rampant today. We live in a very selfish culture. Number two, he says here in this verse here in verse 23, he says you must take up your cross daily. Taking up a cross, remember we've talked about this on Sunday nights, a cross is a, something, a symbol of torture. Taking up a cross means you're going to go down a road, you're going to be involved in doing some things. Jesus literally does not mean that you're carrying a cross on your back. Now, oh, about seven or eight years ago, down Highway 27A, back where our church, old church used to be at, there was this guy, he was walking across America carrying a cross on his back. Now he put wheels on the cross to help carry it, but he was going up the highway. And uh, it was incredibly dangerous because, I mean, literally, he wasn't off to the side. He was on the edge of the road, and people are driving by, and he's carrying a cross, and, and it was all, all the news, which he wanted that. He, you know, he was one of these guys that, uh, and, I, and he stopped, and he would talk to you, so 
I remember speaking to him uh, briefly because he, he had to keep going across America. And he was just, his purpose was, he was trying to say, you know, even if I get hit by a car, I want to show to folks that I'm going to carry my cross and bring attention to Jesus Christ. Now, he said people throw things at him, they would honk their horn, they would come inches from killing him, but you know, this was one of these guys that he would have died, it would have been, he would have been happy. I mean, he was just that type of, he had completely denied himself and says, I'm going to carry my cross. And he certainly does. Now, I think when we read these verses, I do not literally believe Jesus is telling every single one of us today that we need to be going up and down the highway carrying a cross. Now, if that's what the Lord's laid on your heart, you need to do it. But I think what he's, the principle he's trying to teach us here in 2018, and even back then, he's saying following, being a disciple and following Jesus, it's not, going to be, it's not going to be easy, it's going to be hard. And there's going to be times where you will be hated, you'll be persecuted, you'll be mocked, you'll be ridiculed, you'll be taking a high road when everybody else is taking a different road. And truthfully, it's not the most popular thing to do to be a Christian, to be a Bible-believing Christian, when uh, it seems like everyone else around you is not. It's easy to go, out, go with the flow. And one of the things, back 60, 70 years ago, you could be a Christian or even a fake Christian, and kind of go with the flow because we had a more Christian culture. Well, nowadays, we don't have a Christian culture. If you're going to carry your cross, people are going to notice it. They're going to know for what you stand for. So Jesus is saying, this is something you have to do daily. It's not walking an aisle when you're a child one time. It's a daily commitment to say, I am going to choose today to follow after Jesus. And then he goes on to say, the third point here, and follow me. And I think what's interesting about that, he says, until you deny yourself, until you pick up your cross and realize this is going to be hard, only then and e even then is when you're at the point of ready to follow me. And what he's saying is becoming a Christian should not and is not easy. It's not cheap grace. It's not easy living. It's hard. There's conditions for discipleship. Discipleship requires a cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he died for being a Christian in Germany there, but... Um, by Hitler, he said, when, a man, when Christ bids a man to follow him, he bids that man to come and die. And that's what it means. When you sign up to follow Christ, you're saying, I'm going to come and die. You're dying to your old life. You're dying to, to selfishness. And you're saying, Lord, I'm going to live for you. Jesus is saying in this passage here, they, they wanted miracles. That's what, they, that's what they wanted from Jesus. And he's saying, quit looking for miracles. Quit looking just for healings. I'm not just a miracle worker. He's saying, I, if you want a Messiah's lifestyle, the lifestyle Jesus is offering here, it's going to be self-denial. And only those who can do that and take the hard road are the ones that find it. So we really see the essence Jesus Christ is telling us, speaking to you tonight, and you have to look at yourself and say, God, am I selfish? Do I allow my selfish desires to uh, uh, come in the way? Yeah, I want to give you an example. Um, uh, Sherry's sister's in town, so this morning, uh, that meant I had to go to North Lime Donuts. <clears throat> That's what that really means. So I'm a regular patron at the North Lime Donuts on Clays Mill Road. I know their hours when they open every morning. I'm a morning person, so on Sundays, the rest of, on Monday through Friday, they open at 6 a.m., then on Saturday, they open at 7. And then on Sunday, for whatever reason, the donut place opens at 8, which I think is incredibly late for a donut place to open at 8. I mean, if I was running a donut store, it would be open at 5 o'clock, because that's when... Well, here's how, here's how people buy donuts. You, 
You get up, it's early, normally Saturday morning, Sherry pushes me out of the bed, and says, the kids need something to eat, why don't we go get them donuts, they've been good this week, which is a joke, but <coughs> they're never good, but anyway, they're good enough to get donuts, I guess. So this morning, I had to leave at 7.45, because you know, we're on a time crunch, because we have to come to church, so it opens at 8. I got there at um, 7.50, 5-minute drive, and I'm standing there, and there's a guy in front of me in, in the line. And by the time it opened at 8, there was, I mean, 15, 20 people behind me. I mean, I was glad I was there early. I mean, it's packed, that place, when it opens, I guess. But I was standing there because I had about, you know, eight or nine minutes to talk to this fellow here who's a few years older than me. And I was talking to this guy, and I was asking what, because I knew what I was going to do. I was going to church that day. And I said, so, and I, tried to, I was trying to lead the conversations to Christ. I was telling about our church and everything. And this is what he told me. He said, well, today I'm going to watch soccer and watch the Wimbledon. And when I heard that, I thought, well, that's unfortunate. That's a sad plan uh, for your Sunday. Instead of giving that day to the Lord, it's a day he was, going to get, he was getting them for his family too. He's going to get donuts, and he's going to go home and watch TV all day. But I share this because that's Lexington. That's everywhere around here. That's what people do. On Sunday, you go get your donuts, you go turn on golf, tennis, soccer, whatever sporting event's going on, and that's the lifestyle. And we as Christians, when we're engaging these people who are just living, there was nothing wrong with great first-class guy, very kind, very nice. The only thing missing in his life is the Lord. And what Jesus is telling us tonight is you know, it would have been hard for me to just say, I don't need to talk to this guy. I'm just going to play on my phone and just ignore everybody around me. But being a disciple, taking up your cross, denying yourself, saying, I'm going to engage this man, or at least try to engage this man in a conversation about the Lord, about Jesus, about the gospel. And many times it's incredibly unsuccessful and people don't want to hear it, but we as faithful believers and followers of the Lord, we have to do that. Because as much as, as much as me and this other guy love North Lime Donuts, what's most important to him is not him just hanging out on Sunday watching TV. It's the, his lack of a relationship with the Lord. Now, I didn't, I didn't ask him if he went to church or anything. I was trying to invite him to our church. And he <clears throat> seemed more interested in watching TV. But the point is, we as Christians, Jesus Christ, as is, is, is Bible-believing Christians, we have to do this. Jesus Christ is expecting you to be a soul-winning disciple of Him. That's what He's saying here. He says this is not going to be easy. And 99% of the time, you will get rejected. But there will be times where you will witness somebody, or you just invite them to church, or tell them about Jesus, and they will listen, and God will open their heart. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Second story here, this is a transfiguration. Now, we probably don't, you probably don't hear a lot of sermons about this, because I think this is a story in the Bible that people don't know what to do with. It's just, you read this story and think, what does all this mean? Why did a cloud come and appear over Jesus, and Moses and Elijah show up, and Peter, James, and John? Are there? What does all this mean? And we're going to, I'm going to explain it. It ties in with the Old Testament. 
Luke chapter 9, verse 28. It says here, About eight days after this conversation, he took Peter, James, and John and went up on the mountain to pray. Mountaintop experience for the Lord alone. He's in prayer. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. Peter just didn't know what he was talking about. Verse 34, While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent and at that time told no one what they had seen. Keep your finger here in Luke chapter 9. Flip back to Exodus chapter 40. This is why the cloud appeared. Exodus chapter 40, it's the last chapter of the book of Exodus. And this here, one of, Moses had experiences very similar. When G, Moses was up on the um, um, Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments for the second time, the, the time they got to keep them, he came down and the Bible says his face was, a, was radiant. It was obvious he had been in the presence of the Lord. Well, here, Jesus here, he's on, this, he's on the mount. The Bible doesn't say which mount. And he also has this appearance, uh, this um, encounter with the Lord. So here is what happened. Here's why a cloud is so important. Because we read this story and think, why a cloud? Why does a cloud come down? And um, in many ways, uh, it's a, a way for God confirming His Son. But look what happens here. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 says... The way this worked is the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a portable church. And it just moved around to where it was... uh, The tabernacle was first. Then we came to the temple. Then after the temple, then ultimately we see the new temple is Jesus. That's what he says. So that's kind of the movement we see throughout. So here we have this tabernacle, and it, it, it moves with the cloud. So in verse 34, it says, "...the cloud covered the tent of meeting." And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And this is what's interesting about this tabernacle. The Israelites set out, set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night, visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. So what happens, this is how the Israelites moved around the desert. They followed a cloud by day, and then they followed inside this cloud at night. It was a, a burning fire, and that was the presence of God. And what happened when it appeared, they're confirming, they built, Moses built this tabernacle, and the cloud came down and said, this is where my presence will be. This is where they would offer the sacrifices at. So this is the beginning of this tabernacle. So what happened is the Jewish folks understood that Moses, he was their leader. 
He led them to build the tabernacle, and God is confirming to Moses and all the Israelites that, that Moses is my leader, and you need to listen to him and follow the cloud where it goes. Well, here's Jesus. He's also up on a mountain, and a cloud comes down to confirm, this is my son. You need to listen to him. Flip over to Malachi chapter 4. Many of you ask, say, why, um, uh, why did um, Moses and Elijah, of all the people in the Old Testament, well, Moses died, and it says God buried him. So we don't know where Moses is buried at. We, Moses could have been buried in heaven, but the Lord took care of Moses. Elijah went up in a chariot of fire. Elijah never died. He just went up with the angels. And then Elisha followed him. So we see uh, God buried Moses. Elijah went up in a chariot. So these are two men that we know for a fact are in heaven. In fact, they came down to confirm that. And here's what we see here. Look at the very last book of the Old Testament. This is why Moses and Elijah are so important. The prophet Malachi writes about them. These are the last few sentences of the Old Testament. It's in Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. It says, Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel, Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a crime. Now, they talk about two... The Old Testament ends by talking about these two great prophets, Moses and Elijah. Now, we also know the name Elijah here, that's an indirect reference, a prophecy to John the Baptist. We've talked about this on a, um, on a previous Sunday night earlier here in this year and uh, when we, went through, we were going through Luke. Now, the reasons why Moses is important is the law came from Moses. So, Elijah here, he's saying there's going to be someone who's going to get ready. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And John the Baptist will do that. So, these are the two. So, in many ways, and we don't, we don't think this way because we don't have the... If you were a Jewish person, have you ever gone back and read the very end of Revelation, chapter 22? And it talks about the great day of the Lord coming and what's going to be like. And that's how the Bible ends. Well, these verses right here, if you were Jewish in first century, this is where your Bible ends. Like, these are it. The Bible ends with Moses and Elijah. So you're thinking, all right. Moses and Elijah, here, here they come. If you're a Jewish person, you're waiting for these two men because it's talked about this. You knew that God buried Moses, we don't know where, and Elijah rode a chariot and went up to heaven. And that's all we know. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes, and he's on the mountain, and who comes? Moses and Elijah. It's confirming Jesus' purpose. Commitment to Christ is a commitment to the chosen one and his mission. Look at what God says. Luke 9. Go back and look at this. Verse 35. God speaking in this cloud. He's speaking to Peter, James, and John. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son. He can't make it any more clear. The chosen one. Listen to him. I know you're really good at listening to Moses. I know you're a pro at studying your Old Testament, but my son is Jesus. You now need to listen to him. 
God is confirming to Peter, James, and John, leaders, disciples, that this is the Messiah. This is what's most important. So if it's so what do we see from the transfiguration? We see the Lord confirming his son. We're also being told we need to listen to him. He's even greater than Moses and Elijah, who the Old Testament ended on. Last section here. Luke chapter 9, verse 37 through 43. Last verses we're going to read here. This is about the power over a demon. This is a healing that's going to happen. What's powerful about this is what, how Jesus reprimands his disciples and not only that, all the listeners there. Verse 37, The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. Just then a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, because he's my only child. A spirit seizes him, suddenly he shrieks, and it throws him into convulsions until he foams at the mouth, severely bruising him. It scarcely ever leaves him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. So I want you all to understand, so we're up on, this is always what happens on a mountaintop experience. Jesus is up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. They're up there. God's appeared. Moses and Elijah appeared. We get the mission that Jesus is God's Son. We need to be listening to Him. We have an incredible experience with the Lord. So we show up. Always when you have a mountaintop experience, when you feel the presence of the Lord, when you're excited, that is when the devil hits the most. And that's what happens right here. We have a demon-possessed little boy and apparently, while they were up on the mountain, the other disciples, they just couldn't, they couldn't heal the little guy. They could not drive it out. And there was a sense of a lack of faith. There was a sense of disappointment. There was a sense of, we can't, we can't overcome this one. He's too much for us. So, all of a sudden, Jesus comes down. And he's thinking, here I'm dealing with these guys, my disciples, and they can't do it. There's a sense of, I've, I've invested so much in them, that I've told them what to do, but they, for whatever reason they can't. Verse 41, look what Jesus says. This is his reply. What I love about this is, um, Jesus doesn't ever scold the son or the father. Look who he gets on to. Jesus replied in verse 41, you unbelieving and perverse generation. It's interesting he calls them perverse. That's the word perverted. Perversion. That's our culture today. Two things he got on to. Unbelieving. That's a lack of belief. That's just, I'm going to tell you what unbelief is. Unbelief is rampant today. You just don't believe God can do it. You don't believe the Lord can bless our church. You don't believe. You believe the good old days are long gone. You believe we're just on the, the downhill slope? It's a, it's a lack of belief in the Lord. And he looks at his disciples and says, I know, you just, you don't believe it. And not only that, you're perverse, meaning you are morally corrupt. You have sin in your life. That is why they could not drive out this demon. That's why they couldn't set this little guy free, because they didn't believe they could do it, and they had unconfessed sin in their life. So that's right off. He goes after that generation. Jesus just described our generation. We live in an unbelieving and perverse generation. 
Nothing has changed. Jesus doesn't scold the father. He doesn't scold the little boy. He's scolding the believer, saying, Y'all just un- where's your belief? How long will I be with you and put up with you? Have you ever felt that like, like how long does it take to learn? You're talking, to, you're talking about God here. Bring your son here. Verse 42. As the boy was still approaching him, the demon knocked him down and threw him into severe convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. Jesus never got on to the boy or the father. He rebuked the demon. He rebuked the unclean spirit. He recognized what this really was. And it says in verse 43, And they were all astonished at the greatness of God. I think what's powerful about this story here is how Jesus Christ, what's touching about this for us, is I believe one of the reasons we don't see great things happen And the greatness of God, as we witnessed here in this story, is because could it be here at Broadway and in our lives, we have lack of belief and we're perverted. Perverted means you're morally bankrupt. You have unconfessed sin in your life. There's things you say in your life, saying, God, unless I get clean hands and purify myself, I stand before the Lord guilty. That prevented the miracle. You want spiritual breakthrough in your life? You want to see the Lord do great things for you? Jesus just told us. You need to have the belief and you need to have clean hands. Clean hands and clean heart and just watch the Lord work. What do we see in these stories here? Jesus Christ is telling us tonight, you need to take up your cross. That's self-denial. That means He's saying it's going to be hard. It's not an option. It's required. The transfiguration we see the Lord telling us we must listen to Jesus Christ. We learned this morning in John 17, 17, we are sanctified by God's Word. Do you want to be made pure and clean? Only God's Word can do that. And not only that here, Jesus tells us, you are an unbelieving and perverse generation. The same generation, the same evil spirit that existed back then, 2,000 years ago, is rampant today. Nothing has changed Sin is still sin. The devil is still a distractor. And we are constantly battling as believers against this unbelief. Just people just don't believe. And perversion. God, I pray tonight, as we have our invitation, I pray that you speak to us and help us have the faith we need. Lord, some of us here, Lord, we just do not believe. We are just... We are receiving the rebuke that Jesus is giving, that you are giving, Lord. I, God, I pray tonight that we'll look at our hearts and say, God, I need this type of belief that I believe you can. Lord, purify and cleanse our hearts. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Lord, I pray this invitation. If there's any, anyone who needs to respond, Lord, we certainly do that tonight. Lord, the altar is always open. You're always calling people home. We give you this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite everyone to stand. We're going to have our invitation. David Dale's going to lead us in a song. I'll be standing up front. Let's stand together and sing. We'll sing together, I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. 
no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Everybody, um, we have our bi-monthly business meeting tonight. So I want you to stay. Uh, uh, we should have six handouts. If you're, you got here and you don't say, Dan, where are the handouts at? They're over there in the corner. So these are six handouts. We'll be starting in a few minutes our business meeting.